0: interesting thing about that is that that's where I was born and raised. Um, in fact, I was able to bring my dad with me tonight because the congregation where I preach, uh, bless their hearts, but my parents have to listen to me every Sunday and Wednesday night. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, but I tried to remind Plaski Street when I got there that uh, the boy that left in 97 to go to Freed Hardeman. I uh, wasn't the same guy that was coming back to him in 2015. Uh, that I'd like to think I'd grown up a little bit, you know, and uh, had made some uh, some advancements, not just in my education but also in my experience. So they uh, they welcomed me back, and I've been back there for a little over seven years now, and uh, it's been it's been good. Uh, the pandemic was not good, right? But uh, we uh, we lost people. Uh, for all kinds of different reasons, and uh, and we're we're doing what we can to try to recover uh, from that. And God's blessed us. We've had several new families come, as I'm sure you've experienced some of that. And it's always it's always an encouragement. Um, over the last few years, I'd say there's one thing that's been kind of prevalent, at least on uh, TV or social media, or at least. Some of you might have experienced this in person, but there has been a lot of shouting, right? I mean, a lot of shouting. Uh, you, you, uh, I, I, you know, the, the, these folks are raising their, their banners, they're raising their signs, and uh, they they've got their mantras and they've got their catchphrases that underscore their grievance or their protest or some desire and and we've seen this on both sides if we we know what the yeah, we know what the both sides are right i mean we we understand that and we we have people we have people shouting there was a lot of shouting there's been a lot of it and you may may or may not have noticed but during jesus's passion week two things were were quite prevalent There was crowds, we've seen a lot of crowds gathering in different places over the last several years, and there was a lot of shouting, right? So, let's start here. There was um, a crowd that had gathered and was shouting at his entrance. This event that's often referred to as the triumphal entry occurred on the Sunday prior to the Friday that Jesus was crucified. So this is just five days before his earthly demise on the cross. And there is this crowd, and it's an event that is recorded in all four Gospels. All four Gospels relate the so-called Triumphal entry. Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding on a donkey of all things. And in doing so, he was self-consciously fulfilling the messianic prophecy of Zechariah 9 and verse 9. And let's let me just read that to you. Or you can tap in your phones and turn in your Bibles to Zechariah 9 9. Here's what it says: Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus understood himself to be the anointed one. To be the Messiah. To be the Christ. And a large crowd of people made up of pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, which was going down in just a matter of days. You have this massive crowd, and the people are waving palm branches. Right? Which had become a national symbol since Simon the Maccabee had routed the Syrian forces out of Jerusalem in the 2nd century B.C. That's kind of the blank page of your Bible. You know, between Malachi and Matthew, there's there's like 400 years of history between the two testaments, You you could say. Do y'all realize how long that is? I mean, that's longer than we've even been a nation here in America, right? That's a long time. That's a a lot of stuff that can happen in those 400 years. And there was a lot of turmoil. And and the, the Maccabeans, right, were like heroes. And one of the vestiges of that time was this palm branch. And they're all just waving this at Jesus as he enters in there. And they're also praising Jesus. Of course, this crowd... Wasn't homogeneous, right? It wasn't like everybody in the crowd was on the same page, because at one point Luke records that there were, in fact, some naysayers this this day, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd actually said to Jesus, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples." What what did that mean? Tell them to be quiet. Guys, I love what Jesus says next. Here's what Jesus says. I tell you, if these were silent, if if my disciples closed their mouths, the very stones would cry out. (laughs) And have you ever thought, I mean, let me ask you this question. Does Jesus deserve the praise he's getting on this occasion? You think he deserves it? I think so. He deserves all of that and more. And this is a good day. You know, people are praising him, lauding him, making much to do about him. And he deserves every bit of it. No doubt many folks in that crowd were drawn to Jesus because of his miracles. They'd been enlightened by his words, some of them were there because of his message, perhaps. And it does appear as if the crowd had evidently concluded that he was the Messiah, that he was the one they'd been waiting for. And they were rife with expectation. The palm waving and their words signaled their nationalist hope that their messianic liberator had in fact just made his arrival and and let's not forget guess who was kind of sympathetic to that view of the messiah the very guys that jesus had chosen to be his apostles to be his disciples in fact this is luke 19 just a chapter prior in luke 18 jesus actually predicts his death burial and his resurrection and his suffering and all of this and and um, the text goes on to say that these things were like hidden from his disciples. They, they just, they, even this far into it, they're still just not able to grasp a suffering Messiah. You know, they, they've got some really huge earthly expectations. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of Jesus' disciples, you know, his close ones, were actually kind of shouting these same things. Here's what the crowd kept shouting in unison. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These words mainly echo Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, which, by the way, is a traditional psalm that was used by pilgrims on their way to the temple. I mean, you know that there's like three times a year of the seven Jewish festivals where they'd have to make that pilgrimage. If they weren't in Jerusalem, let's say they're in Galilee, what do they got to do? They got to go, at least the males. They got to make an appearance. They got to be there in person. And you had these caravans and things of this nature, one of which Jesus kind of ends up getting lost or whatever. But they're, they're making these pilgrimages here and one of the songs that they're singing on the way to the temple is these very words but man do they not have like special significance on this occasion because i mean they they really believe it seems at this point this is our guy the king you know our king king of israel here he is I couldn't be more excited. And so they shouted and they cried at the top of their lungs these words on the screen in front of you. It's now Friday. Pontius Pilate, who is quite, quite indecisive, and there's reasons. And on one hand, he just is having a hard time figuring out what Jesus has done wrong right? I mean, he thinks he's innocent. On the other hand, he's got a bloodthirsty mob that's threatening all kinds of things. And he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. And here he presents to this sort of surging crowd a bloody and bruised Jesus who just Five days earlier, lumbered into Jerusalem on a donkey, a symbol of peace, mind you, amidst shouts of acclamation and praise. We're five days later. And now this crowd, I would not argue that this crowd is like identical to the man, to the crowd that was there five days earlier, but you better believe there's overlap right? What do I mean by that? That, at the very least, some of the people who five days earlier were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, right? That at least some of those people have now changed their tune. They're saying something different. They're at Gabbatha. That, that is... Um, the stone pavement. And this is where many of the people have, have gathered where Pilate is looking to finally hand down his, his sentence. And you'd like to think the sight of Jesus freshly flogged and wearing this the makeshift trappings of a king You'd like to think that it would have evoked the sympathies of the crowd that had gathered. But this crowd didn't show any signs of sympathy. This crowd was bloodthirsty. I can picture scowls, can't you? I mean, can you? Just, let's, just take a moment. Imagine, well, as they're shouting things, what, what their faces looked like. I can see spittle. It's coming out of their mouth. I could see them raising their fists, you know, and just shaking it, pointing it at the object of their derision. I can picture it. On Sunday, the crowd shouted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And on Friday, just five days later, when their king is introduced to them, he is their king. All right. When he's in fact, Pilate says, Behold your what? Behold your king. Here's what they say. Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Because they're not whispering that. They're yelling that. That's what they're shouting. And that's what they want. That's what they desire. So it's like, what? What changed? At least when we're talking about this, this overlap. I mean, you got this crowd that is in Jerusalem at his entrance. They're praising him and they're lauding him and they're shouting at the top of their lungs. And then, and then five days later, this, this same person is now facing crucifixion. So about an hour or so later, after his examination, we have the crowd shouting, at his execution. Jesus was nailed to two beams of wood. He was hoisted up along with two other criminals. The crowds at Gabbatha had made their way where? To Golgotha, All right, the place of a skull. And the shouting continued. Of course, there was no reason to shout for his crucifixion at this point. They, they've accomplished that. He's he's hanging on a cross at this point. What what more is there to say, right? You got him there. There he is. What more are you going to say? What more? What more could you possibly say? Well, they have more to say. They have more to shout at him. He was already writhing on this Roman cross. And then the people began to shout for him to come down off the cross. They were mocking him. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, please file that away, right? You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down now from the cross. That's what they're yelling at. him. And do you guys realize the irony in what they're yelling? Because see, if they knew what you and I know tonight, they would not have been shouting for Jesus to come down off the cross. If they knew what you and I know tonight, they would have been shouting for Jesus to stay on the cross. This blows my mind, right? Because I'm watching this, and I don't know about you, but when you, when you read through the Gospels at this point, how many of you get angry you know, at the injustice that is transpiring? How many of you are hurt when you hear the kinds of things that they're saying to Jesus you're like, what a miscarriage of justice. I can't believe what he's having to endure. It's terrible. And you know, we like, we want to get up in arms about it, but then we're like, oh, but wait a second. I need him to go to the cross. I need him to stay on the cross. Right? I do. Now, from the crowd eventually came the voices of the main instigators of Jesus' demise, which is the religious rulers of the Jews, here called the chief priests. And they, too, could be heard mocking Jesus. And here's what they're shouting at him. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. By the way, guys, he is the king. Let him come down now from the cross. And look what that says. We will believe in him. The irony is still thick here. It really is. I mean, again, if those chief priests had known what you and I know tonight, they would have known that believing and trusting in Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus, while it does involve obedience and things of this nature, it at least also includes what? It includes believing and trusting in his dying on the cross, right? Not surviving the cross. Matthew goes on to record that even those two men, who were dying on Roman crosses next to Jesus had the audacity to yell at him and revile him as well. Now you guys know, I know you're good Bible students, you know one of them would come to his senses, right? One of them would eventually repent it seems. And Jesus would say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. But at one point, According to Luke's account here, they're both joining in with the the mocking. So the crowds during Jesus' Passion Week, they go from praising Jesus as king, right? That's how it started on Sunday. They go from praising Jesus as king to rejecting Jesus as king to mocking Jesus as king. That's kind of the, the flow of this. And what happened? Right? What, what's up with the shift? Why did they go from lauding him? Why did the crowds laud him to essentially loathing him? What, what, what explains that transition? Well... In a nutshell, they had missed the message about the true identity of the Messiah. And as a result, they misunderstood the mission of the Messiah, right? They got his his identity a bit skewed. Yeah, believe me, this is true. Jesus is king, okay? He is king. He is Lord, but you know this, he's also suffering servant, and so you can imagine, right? I mean, I mean, really, sometimes we really struggle here. How did they miss it? You know, we're thinking, I mean, from the first animal that evidently was slain in the Garden of Eden to cover Adam and Eve, you got that, you got the, the whole mosaic, Levitical sacrificial system you know, you got the tabernacle, then you got the temple. And, and through all that, what what is God trying to, like, teach? What is God trying to say? Well, in, in essence, God was trying to teach his people that an innocent sacrifice of epic proportions would be crucial to the forgiveness of their sins, not to mention the sins of the whole world. These people missed the suffering servant because there was this feverish desire for some soldier, right, who would come in and vanquish Rome and who would, who would lead poor Israel there in Palestine, those, those people back to their glory days of David and Solomon. I mean, that's, that's what they're wanting. That's what they're hoping for. That's even what's in the minds of Jesus' disciples. You guys remember what they said prior to his ascension? Will you at this time now do what? Restore the kingdom to Israel? No, there's, there's confusion about him. They were confused. and I, I think Jesus even knew there was confusion. Do you remember what he said on the cross? One of the things he said, forgive them, Father. Why? For they do not know what they are doing. See, I, I, think, I think on Sunday, here's what's dancing around in their heads. What's dancing around in their heads is we're going to have this, this king wearing, you know, gold armor who, who is going to, uh, you know, take us back to glory and, and he's going he's gonna to vanquish all our enemies. And that's kind of the the vision they've got, this powerful being who is going to defeat their enemies. But what did they have by Friday? Remember when, you remember, I mean, when, when Pilate said, behold, your king. What are they looking at? I mean, they're looking at a guy who is ripped to pieces. He's bloody. He's and and he's not wearing this, you know, this crown of a vanquishing king. I mean, he's got this rough-hewn, thorned crown, and and this this makeshift robe. And there's all these rumors going on about him. You know that that he's going to tear down the temple, and that and that he um, he claimed to be God. He's he's been blaspheming God. We were clearly mistaken. He's not our king. No way. Not this guy. In their estimation, Jesus was an imposter. So they called for his life. Then they mocked him as his life was leaving. After hanging on the cross for about six hours, Jesus breathed his last. The lifeless body of Jesus hung dead on that cross. The blood that had poured from his many wounds and the new wounds that he had received while being nailed to those beams of wood, that's... A lot of that blood's already coagulating on the ground below him. The awful, the awful suffering that he endured was finally over. And the shouting stopped. The crowd dispersed. Now, not everyone who left felt good about what happened. Luke indicates that by this time many people who had come to witness and he calls it the spectacle <laughs> look look it up your translation may have a little different word in Luke 23:48 many of the people that had come to to witness the spectacle they had concluded it seems that something terrible had happened that that something was wrong or perhaps that even maybe something significant had occurred there, walking away, beating their breasts. But many in the crowd who had stopped shouting did so simply because the object of either their disappointment or their disdain was dead. If those people who were there at Golgotha when jesus died had known or realized what we know this evening i don't think they would have walked away from the cross i would argue this that the moment the shouting stopped is the moment the shouting should have started now that that shouting would not be to disparage jesus would not be to mock him. It would not be to bemoan him. And it would not be to bewail what might have been. But if they truly understood the significance at that moment, like you and I should understand its significance this evening, I'd argue that they could have shouted to declare victory. That they could have shouted to celebrate victory the most momentous event in the history of the world outside of what was going to happen just a few days later. You should recall that the crowd mocked Jesus while he was on the cross by calling attention to his claim that he would supposedly destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. I told you to file that little thing away in your head a few moments ago. On this point, they were also confused. What Jesus had actually said is you destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. They, they, not Jesus, the Jews, the Jewish leaders in conjunction with, you know, a weak governor, they would destroy the temple. And by temple, Jesus was not referring to the temple that Herod had been renovating for 46-something years. He was talking about what? His body. Interestingly, Jesus did some of his own shouting between the Sunday that he rode in in the entrance and, and Friday when he's crucified. John records some words that he shouted at some unknown point, at some unknown location during Passion Week. Jesus on this occasion, took a moment to address a crowd that had been gathered. You'll find the words right at the very end of John chapter 12. And John chapter 12, the end of it marks the end of his public ministry because you guys, I think, know what happens in John 13. That's, that's the beginning of the end. I mean, John 13 through 17 probably comprises about four and a half hours or something. I mean, it's just one night right there prior to his... Betrayal. So this is like this culminating point in John. Here's the close of his public ministry, and I want you to hear what Jesus cries out or shouts aloud to the crowds that had gathered on this occasion. Here's what he said. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore I say as the Father has told me. And then John brings it to a close. And it just, those are the words left ringing in the ears of these people. And in the span of just seven verses, here's some of the things that Jesus was telling them. Jesus wanted them to know, I'm the Father's missionary. One of of Jesus' favorite designations for his Father was what? The one who sent me, right? He, He is the Father's missionary with a capital M. And not only that, he is the Father's mirror image. Whoever has seen me, Jesus says, has seen who? The Father. He made that statement just again to fill up two chapters later. And he's the Father's mouthpiece. Whatever the Father tells him to say, that's what he's going to say. That's what he's going to teach. That's what he's going to preach. But in the span of those three verses, right, he's not just telling them about himself, but he's also telling them about what he is to them. He is the world's light. He is the world's liberator. And he didn't come to liberate anybody from some sort of earthly regime. Came to liberate people from their sins. To die for them. And there's no no record of how people responded to what he said. But those words that he shouted just prior to those crowds, they're left there for you and I to respond to if we need to. According to the book of Revelation, even now an assembly of angels and other authorities are saying with a loud voice, worthy, is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I don't know about you, but I hope to add my voice to that shouting one day. Right? To be a part of that assembly that is lauding, praising Jesus for who he is and what he did. If you hope to be a part of that assembly, then tonight is as good a night as any to get it right with God. Perhaps need to pray for you and pray with you. Maybe prayers of forgiveness, prayers of encouragement. Perhaps you're here this evening, you've been given this a lot of thought, and you're ready to make Jesus the king of your life, to acknowledge him for who he is, to see him for who he is, to say who he is, to come with a heart full of faith, penitent of your sins. Confess it before men and women. And then to reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism. Reenacting what gave you and me the opportunity to be saved in the first place. Maybe that's where you're at this evening. We can help anyone, accommodate anyone in any way. Come now together.